pray with me? Father, we give you glory for this glorious music today, and with our hearts, Lord, we exult in this thought that you alone are worthy. And so, Father, we give you your worth, your worship, your worship this morning. And as best we know how, Lord, we want to give you worship by loving you with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds, and with our strength. And Lord, we thank you that you are a great God and a mighty Savior. And we thank you that your love has reached us. And today, Lord, we want you to know how much we love you with our all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is good all the time. So this was a week when some of us told somebody that we love them. We may have done that with a card or with candy or with a a verbal uh, affirmation or an embrace. And I wonder who or what do you love with all of your strength. And when you tell them that, what do you expect back from them? You may remember an M. Night uh, Shyamalan movie called The Village, a, a rural village where people escaped from the big city and, and the movie begins with a young woman named Kitty going to her father, Edward, who is played by William Hurt, and she wants him to know that she is ready to be married. And he, she says, Father, I want to ask your permission to be married. And he says, well, normally this would go differently. For instance, there would be a boy here who would be with you asking for permission to marry. And she said, well, I haven't told him yet. <laughs> and he says, the boy doesn't know of your intentions. And she says, no. And he says, well, You need to tell him your intentions, and so she does. And I wanted you to see how that went. Watch this. So I hope your Valentine's Day went better than that. (laughs) Is there anything quite so painful as unrequited love? When you, with all of your strength, say, I love you, and the other person looks at you and says nothing, or says, I know, or let me get back to you on that. Maybe you know how that feels, maybe you don't. I want you to know that God knows how that feels. 
Because on the cross, he was saying, like this young woman, I love you with all that I have. And so often our response to him is remarkably lukewarm or non-existent. And I wonder how we might say to God this week, I love you with all of my strength. Where is the passion in our worship? We have passion for something. Something gets all of our strength. Why not God? Why does God get the very least, the leftovers of our lives? Why have we left our first love? And how can we tell God today, I love you with all of my strength. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. There are a number of pictures of people worshiping with all their strength. I choose this one today because I want you to see what it's like to be caught in adoration, to be caught up in adoration of God, to love God with all of our strength, with strong love, with a a praying knee and a dancing foot. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk and taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You may be seated. Worship is contagious. And God's love for us should inspire our love for him. So, so um, Moses in the wilderness looks at the people after a generation has died out. And he says, we, we need to reboot the system. We need a, a system restore. Your parents were loved by God, but they didn't love God. And now I want you to love God with your heart. Remember, that's your volition, your decision. Love God with your soul, with all your life. 
Love God, Jesus added in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love God with your mind. Remember, don't, don't check your brain at the door, but let God transform your life by renewing your mind. And Mark reminds us, as Moses said to the people, you are to love God with all of your strength. I researched this week in Hebrew, it is love God with all of your utterly you, all that you utterly are. Worship God, love God with all of your strength. We see a similar expression when David danced before the Lord and it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, he danced before the Lord with all his might. He was all in with all of his strength. He loved God. I think we see it in the example of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they are beaten and they are thrown into a prison cell and they are singing hymns of praise to God at midnight and they are, they are worshiping God and it says the audience is listening. The other prisoners are spellbound like the slave girls who saw David dancing with all his might, like the, like the prisoners who heard Paul and Silas singing at the top of their lungs, loving God with all of their strength. The worshipers who went up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon in the days following Pentecost found that a man who used to sit at the gate called beautiful begging for alms had been transformed from one who came to the temple to receive into one who went into the temple to give glory to God. And when I read this story, I wonder if this transformation has taken place in our lives. If we have ever been changed from those who go to church in order to receive something and, and discover while we are there that God so fills us with his love that we are no longer there trying to get something from God, but we are here because we want to give something to God. We want to give him praise and love and adoration because as our choir sang so beautifully, he is worthy of all of these things. But one thing I know for sure when we worship or when we don't, somebody is watching. And this series of sermons about worship at home has been a stark reminder to me that maybe those who watch my worship more closely than anybody else in the world are the members of my family, those who live in my home. They know the spiritual temperature of my heart. They know whether my heart's affection and my mind's attention are on God. They can tell. They, they can read me like a book. They know whether or not I love God with all of my strength. And I know I've said to you before that the greatest thing that parents can do for their children is to love each other. But I would like to recant that statement, if I may, and say it comes in a strong number two. 
But the greatest thing you and I can do for our children and grandchildren, for our families and for our friends, the greatest thing we can do is love God. Love him with our hearts, with our volition, with our choice. Love him with our souls. And I have found myself in these weeks have you saying, Lord, let me love you with my life. Love him with your mind. Love him with your strength, with all of your utterly you, with all the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible said all of your dunamis, all your dynamism, all of your dynamic power. But when Mark translated it, he used the word hiskuos, all of your might, all of your all. And here's what I know about strong worship. That strong worship begins with strong anticipation. It's what we expect of God when we come. And I notice about this man who had been crippled from birth that what he expected when he went up to the temple at the hour of prayer is that the people of God who were going to worship would be generous. It's interesting that the ancient rabbis said this all of your utterly you, this madka uh, in uh, Hebrew, this this all of your strength was really about your substance, your resources, your material goods, that you would love God. And it's not surprising that this man thought that the people of God would be generous. But would you agree with me that he had long since stopped expecting that he would ever walk again? I have a friend who stood in the doorway of his home many years ago when a robber came to the door and shot him. And his wife told me this week, for six or seven years, doctors and nurses were telling them, your husband will never walk again. But she said, I didn't believe it. I said to the doctors, you don't know my husband. And in fact, this man had been lame, crippled from birth. He, he had never walked. And I'm pretty sure when he was sitting there that day, as they carried him there at that particular hour, as the people went up to pray, that he would have been perfectly content to receive enough money that day to live on so that he could be carried home and carried back the next day so that he could get enough money to live on and maybe our problem in worship, maybe we don't worship God with all of our strength because we have forgotten that all of our strength comes from God. And the only hope we have in this life is that God would intervene in some dynamic way in our lives. And I think our problem in worship is that we would, let me just speak for myself, I would often have settled in my life for less than God had for me. And this man would have. And I wonder if we come to worship that way. I, I read this week a, a little excerpt from a book. A father, Daniel Taylor, was, it's called Letters to My Children. And one of his children asked him, this has probably never happened in your home, but it has in mine. One of his children said, church is boring. Why do we have to go? And he said, how shall I explain this? So in this book, he said, what I said to my kids is, just imagine that when you were going to church on a given day, that somebody really famous, somebody really important, 
some athlete or entertainer was going to be at church that day and wouldn't you want to get there early? Wouldn't you want to get up close so that you could have a a close view of this famous person? And the kid said, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, every time we come together, God says, I will be there. When two or more of you are gathered in my name, God says, I will be there. I will come. That's why we go to church every week. But the problem is, he says, that that you and I physically, emotionally, mentally, there's only so much of the infinite God that you and I can actually comprehend. So God has to be gentle with us. For instance, he said, if Fluff, our hamster, our little rodent, our little pet, if you squeeze Fluff too tightly, Fluff would go off to hamster heaven. It wouldn't be a good thing if you did that. And so we have to speak softly to Fluff. We have to hold Fluff gently. And God has to do that with us because we couldn't take all of God. But maybe the real reason, his kids said, well, if God is really there, then how come sometimes you fall asleep in church? (laughs) And Daniel Taylor said, well... The problem is that it's not just that we can only take so much of God, but sometimes we don't want all of God. We don't want God to disrupt our world. We don't want him to turn our world upside down. We would, we would settle for just a little bit of God. We, we kind of want God like fluff. We want him to stay in the cage until we need him. We don't want any surprises from God. We don't want God, as one person has said, Wilbur Reese, I'd like $3 worth of God in a paper sack. Not enough of God to explode my soul. Not enough of God to disturb my sleep. Not enough of God to make me love somebody who's different from me or welcome the stranger in our midst. I'd like about as much of God as a cup of warm milk or a snooze, a sleep, a nap in the sunshine. I'd like one pound of the eternal, three dollars worth of God in a paper sack. And I think that we, like this man, would settle for less than God has for us. So I want to make a covenant with us today. And here's the covenant I want to make. When I come to this place, I will come with anticipation. And I want to ask you to do the same. I remember I remember hearing about um, a protege of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British pastor, and, and the young man had just become a pastor in his own right, and he'd been preaching for three months, and nobody had responded to his message. Nobody had come forward to receive Christ as personal Savior, and he said to Spurgeon, nobody ever responds when I preach. Nobody ever accepts Christ. And Spurgeon said, well, let me ask you something. You don't expect somebody to come every time you preach, do you? And the young man said, well, no, not every time I preach. And Spurgeon said, and that's why they don't. Because you don't expect it, they don't. So I'll make a covenant with you. When I come up here, I'm going to expect God to do something so great that it's beyond what we ask or imagine. I want something to happen at Tallowood that is so big that we cannot explain it in our own terms. That our only explanation will be God did that 
That was a God thing. That's so big that only God could do that. And I will come with that kind of anticipation. But can I ask you, would you come in that same spirit Would you come with a a sense of anticipation that God could do something great in our midst? Like the Switchfoot song, we want more than this world has to offer. Is that your heart today? You are coming to a king, large expectation with you bring What if God showed up? What if God exploded our souls? What if God did more than we could imagine? What if God showed up in a powerful way? Are we ready for that? Do we expect that when we come? Because strong worship involves strong anticipation. And strong worship results in strong adoration. So this man, he's not even looking at Peter and John when they're walking by. We know that because Peter and John look at him and say, look at us. They, the word in Greek is attend to him. They give him their attention and they ask him for his. And then he fixes his eyes on them because now he's expecting something from them. He expects a little bit of money from them and he has no idea in his wildest imagination he can't possibly comprehend that Peter is going to look at him and say we don't have any money we don't have any money then why are you talking to me right now if you don't have any money why are you stopping it'd be like you going to the to the intersection of Gessner and uh, the the freeway there where the people stand asking for money with their signs and you roll down your window and say how are you and they're saying I just need money and, and there, that raises the level of expectation. And Peter looks at him and says, we don't have any money. Some years ago, Thomas Aquinas, back in the 13th century, was talking with Pope Innocent II. And Pope Innocent II was counting out a large amount of money. And he turned to Aquinas and he smiled and he said, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? We can't say that anymore. We've got money. And Aquinas said, But neither can the church anymore say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I was humbled when I heard Tim Keller preach this week. And he said, God sent us here to do the things that Jesus did. The book of Acts doesn't end with chapter 28. It doesn't end with the period. It's an ellipsis. This is what Jesus continues to say and to do through his people. And he calls us to join him in his work. And when we do, People's lives are going to be changed and their great anticipation will result in great adoration. It's why David danced before the Lord with all his might. And when his wife, Michael, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, says to him in verse 21, how you have distinguished yourself today, dancing before the Lord in a linen ephod, You have humiliated and devalued the currency of the kingship of Israel. And he says, yeah, I wasn't dancing for you. I wasn't dancing for anybody. I do my worship for God. 
This is why in Acts chapter three, we see this man not just walking. When he is lifted to his feet, he's not just walking, but it says he's jumping. I guess if you've never jumped in your life and you could suddenly walk, you would want to be able to to jump and just see what that was like. He was, as the NBA would say, full of bounce. (laughs) He He was jumping for all he was worth and he was praising God because this is what he knew. Peter and John didn't do this. I mean, it was the name of the Lord, the authority of Jesus Christ. It was Peter's hand. But when he stood up, he knew God did that. And so he gave praise to God. And if you and I knew that only God can save and only God can forgive and only God can make us brand new, then we would spend all of our time like this man talking about God and the audience would notice. So in verse 10, it says the people were astonished. Literally, they stood outside themselves in amazement. They had seen Jesus do things like this. But Peter and John are not Jesus. They're just people who have been with Jesus. But when they are obedient, this man offers God all of his strength, walking and leaping. And the people say he used to be the man who sat and begged. But now he's walking and jumping and praising God with strong worship. Now here's my question. Who's watching you? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 and 25, that every time we worship, there might be somebody in our midst who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're not gonna leave here saying, I liked that instrumentation. I'm sorry, but they're not. They're not gonna leave here and say, I like that song or this song. It's Tully and Chavidjan in his little book that our staff has been reading together, um, Unfashionable, and he tells about when he was strung out on drugs and he had spent the whole night partying and he just sort of woke up one morning and said, I need to go to church. Now he's Billy Graham's grandson, so he's got a little bit of that in his family history, but he says, I need to go to church. And he doesn't look on the internet and say, where can I find find a church with a guitar and a drum set. Though that was probably his favorite style of music at that point. He was just looking for a church and he saw a steeple and stained glass and he walked in there and he said, when I went in there, there were people who received me and welcomed me. And then he said, I encountered God and I can't remember any of the songs they they sang and I can't even remember what the preacher talked about. I just remembered God is here. He's in this place. And that is why he came back again and again and again. And Paul envisions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he says, if somebody comes and you speak the truth to them, God will lay their hearts bare and they will say, God is here. And that's what we want to happen. Strong anticipation that God will be here. Strong adoration so that we, like David dancing before the Lord, so that we, like this man offering his praise to God, so that we, like Paul and Silas singing hymns at midnight, will say to all who are here, God is here and God is real. We do that in our homes when prayer is not just a form or a formality, but a force. 
a man said to me one time when I fed him a meal. He had been living on the streets in Waco. He wanted to go home to Marlin. And when I prayed with him, he said, my mother prays. He said, she prays so loud it scares me. I asked my mother when she's praying, mom, who are you praying for? And she says, I'm praying for you. My mother prays so hard for me, it scares me, he says. Pray like that. Pray so that your children know that prayer is not perfunctory. It's not a game or a ritual. It's an encounter with God. And if you want to know what the hour of prayer is, because this was three o'clock in the afternoon, the the Hebrews had three hours of prayer in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening sacrifices they prayed. If you're wondering, so what is our hour of prayer? That would be now. It's always the right time to pray. The preachers of old said a, a praying knee and a dancing foot will never be on the same leg. That's the way Baptists preached in, in the days gone by. If you pray, you won't dance, they said. But this man forgot to get that memo because he's praying and he's dancing. And David was praying and he was dancing. And I, I, know, um, I, I know Baptists have a history of saying thou shalt not dance. I, th I think we've moved a bit beyond that, but that's our sort of history anyway. A praying knee and a dancing foot, this man says, are on the exact same legs. Our kids took a dance lesson this week. The ones who are getting married went to a bridal extravaganza and they won a free dance lesson. And they learned this week the, the foxtrot and some other dance. And they came home and they showed us what that looked like. And they were really cute. I just, I have to say, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to November 2nd when they, when they get married and when, when they dance. I won't probably join them that day. It's an occupational thing for me. I'm yeah, it's not good when I dance. It's just, it's not good. But sometimes when I'm running down the bayou on a Monday morning, I lift my hands as high as I can in adoration of the God who has given life to me. Sometimes I bow and tears stream down my face. And I don't want to hide those things from my family because the audience is listening. And I want them to know that I love God with all that I am, with all that you are. Love God with all of your strength. Like a leper returning back to Jesus to say thank you in great desperation like Wanda, who came back from one year of rehab, and when they said, come to the front, she walked right past the prayer minister, right past the pastor, and she stopped somewhere right in here, and she just lifted her hands to God, and somebody came up and stood beside her, had never seen her before, and she came like, like somebody who loved God with all that she had. And when she worshiped, everybody in the place gave deeper thanks and worshiped with greater desperation as God brought out new treasures with old. Her life was changed. Love God like that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love.
for your mercies that are new today. Thank you for changing our lives. You are our only hope. And we ask you today, God, to transform our lives because you're the only one who can. We're not telling you, God, that we're gonna try harder to do a little better. That really hasn't worked. So we ask you to transform us so that when we come to this place, we come with great anticipation and with great adoration. And unlike the man in the video who said, I better not get into that, we say this morning, we better get into this because we need to worship you more than we need to breathe, more than we need to eat, more than we need water to drink. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.